If your school won't teach you how to fight for what's needed, they're teaching you to go through life and get cheated. It's the Review A New Podcast. I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And this is the podcast where we normally look at the filmographies of our favorite movie makers and talk about what they're about now that we're grown-ups who can comprehend what they're about and shit. But uh, today we have a special Kofi request. Shout out to Dr. Goatman. Uh, for your request, and if you'd like to request a movie for us to review, especially now that it's Black November and reviews are at a reduced rate, go to that link tree where this podcast is and uh, hit up that Kofi for a one-time request or uh, to Patreon to do ongoing support. Plus, you get to see every other episode that is not out and available to the public just yet. Uh, and if you hear any purring, it's because our cat, Zoe, just meowed outside of our room until we let her in. And then she started purring once we did let her in, so there's, uh, I thought we were going to get less noise, but uh, <laughs> we might get more, but, you know, it'll be nice cat noises, so don't, don't worry too much about it. Um, but anyways, let's get into this freaking movie, Sorry to Bother You, directed by Boots Riley. Uh, I can't remember if he had directed anything else, but he, what I had found out, um, uh, what, as I had watched the movie for the first time, is that this dude was a rapper and, like, was a part of this group called The Coup uh, mm. that was, like, you know, not, like, huge, but, like, they were, a, a like, a big fucking deal in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. with the type of, like, rebellious type of music they made. And, yeah, I, I realized, like, oh, my God, these guys were making music, like, when Tupac was doing shit, you know? Yeah. And uh, to see that this guy is, like, was able to make enough of a, a, a name for himself where he was able to independently get this movie made where it ended up being such a, making such a splash. How it, it does did, not, you know? it does not seem like some guy's vanity project. Yeah. This is a good goddamn movie. It's insane. Now, I want to say right off the bat, if you have not seen this movie, please, please do not listen to this Ooh. episode. Oh, yes. Please watch it first. <laughs> it is there are twists that we mm-hmm. are we have to talk about. It is we, this movie is going to be spoiled the fuck out of, and and this is like I'm usually somebody who is pretty like not spoiler averse. I will listen to spoiler podcasts before I've watched something. But sorry to bother you. No, no, no. Watch <laughs> it first. Trust me, please. Yeah. Like. If you haven't seen it, turn this off right now and come back after you've watched it. It's, yeah, uh, so it's I, on Amazon. Just uh, uh, It's on Hulu, actually. Yeah, it's on Hulu now. And by the way, the, the lyrics that I got that from was from a, a song from The Coup. Uh, I was we, wondering what that was because I was like, that wasn't in the movie. <laughs> yeah, we, we reviewed the album by The Coup called Sorry to Bother You, oh. which has nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just used the name. I, I have like, no idea. Brand recognition, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Uh-huh. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, so, yeah, like, there's, uh, I guess, like, their music in general is about, like, rebellion and stuff like that, and the principles and themes of that are present in this film, so that it's kind of like, like, this movie really is a character unto itself as you're watching it. It's so, oh my god, this movie's just bursting with just creative energy it as is, you watch it. It yeah. so doesn't function as, like, a normal movie. It's very, I would call it magical realism. That, that's exactly um, the phrase that came to my mind. that's the genre it is. It's magical realism. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like it's weird to say, but it feels like a very literary movie. How do you in mean? A lot of, so, it is magical realism, which is m- largely a, a literary genre. And it's not... Like, I don't want to... Like, I feel like cinematic conjures up the wrong idea. It's very literary, even though it's very visual and it relies a lot on really good acting performances. Mm. But I... 
I don't I think this is a completely original screenplay but if you had told me this was based on like a cult novel I would believe it. <laughs> right right it's so yeah it has such a aesthetic unto itself it just feels like where have I heard of this before? Yeah, like it's got it's got a little bit of like a Chuck Palahniuk vibe to mm, it. Okay, I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I had I realized I was trying to think because I rewatched it last night, and I was trying to think about the time I'd watched it before, and I was like, oh, it wasn't that long ago because I remembered everything. You know, a lot of times when I rewatch a movie, it's like, oh, I forgot about that part. And everything was very clear in my mind, so I was like, I must have watched that not too long ago. But I realized I watched it in my old apartment, so it must have been at least hmm. two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this right movie has w- made such an impression on me that two years after I saw it, it felt like I saw it a week ago. Right, right, right. It's so it's such a like almost every shot is a. Am- it is such an interesting looking movie. Yeah. Like, it's, it's got this really interesting aesthetic. And I think you said uh, at the beginning, you were like, you know, what year is it set in? And yeah, it's, yeah. it's set in basically an alternate universe in a way that actually, um, if, if anybody's seen the limited series, I'm saying this like, like there's like I can hear responses like if any of you guys, <laughs> um, but if anybody's seen the uh, the Netflix uh, mini series Maniac with Jonah Hill and uh, oh, Emma Stone, I know what you're about. I saw that. which yeah. I also really really love and recommend. It's crazy, um, but it reminds in terms of the setting, it reminds me a little bit of Maniac because mm. it's this world that resembles ours and somewhat. It resembles ours. It somewhat resembles our past. It somewhat resembles mm. our future, and it's kind of like it's just a slightly parallel universe. Yeah, you're where absolutely they have right. A lot of the same problems that we do, but some things are exaggerated, and some things are kind of charmingly retro, like the fact that the main character works in a call center where his job is to call people right. and have a conversation with them, trying to get them to buy books. Yeah, which is just like. I mean, that, I that's what it's about when you think of like, it. I don't know about you, but I have not gotten a sales call that wasn't just a recording from a robot. Absolutely. In years. <laughs> and frankly, if anybody called me up and said, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm an actual person. I'm going to talk to you. What's your name? Okay. Hey, I think you should buy this book. I think you should buy this encyclopedia set. I'd be like, sure. Fuck yeah. Why not? I would. That <laughs> would. Yeah. I mean, honestly. No, I, I just hang up. Like, like, I mean, no, if somebody like put through the effort for an actual human being to call me and have a conversation with me because think about it like that is the ultimate in targeted advertising that you you have an actual human being calling you to have a conversation with you it's just that i i it seems so uh old-fashioned and so sort of like hands-on in a way that just doesn't exist in today's world where everything is automated and scaled up and and also it's in a time where it's just like you know back in the day it's like someone's calling me what are they calling me about now it's i don't recognize that number boop (laughs) like you know that's so like just not a thing anymore you know what i mean yeah and it's and it's not um it's you know it's not again it's not set in the past i think we see smartphones yeah, right it, or at least we see cell phones yeah it's mid-2000s type of because there's one point where they're throwing cell phones at her and none of them look like the flat modern screens they all kind of look that's like true. yeah it might be it might be set like in a parallel universe to like 2008 yeah 
but it's um but it's done in a way where it's like it it's clearly intentionally drawing your attention to these anomalies like it doesn't feel like it's a mistake it feels like it's going for something yeah you know? and and so it's very clearly not literally our world because um the a major thing that exists in this world that becomes a major plot point is there's a company called worry free that um advertises itself as uh, you know, forget all your worries and cares. Don't worry about having to pay your bills or anything. Just come work for us. Sign a lifetime contract and you get to live here and we'll feed you. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially slavery. It's mass corporate slavery. It's basically, um, what, what was that thing that, uh, what's his name, did at the turn of the, uh, the 20th century? Where it was just like, uh, the, some guy buys a whole a little mini city, and yeah. so you buy their stuff through them. Yeah, the and you company live on the, store. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's that um, type of shit. It's, it's like that taken to extreme. It's it's basically it's slavery. It um it's reminiscent because they're all wearing uniforms, um and it looks their rooms look like prison cells. It's very reminiscent. Yeah. <laughs> it's very reminiscent of prison labor, which is uh basically modern day slavery. Mm -hmm. And by the way, um. It, maybe somebody can look this up or we'll try and find a link or something, but there was a horrifying, horrifying Twitter thread about the Alabama state legislature and how it is entirely staffed by prison labor. Wow. And if you look at the photographs, I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast I before. Maybe this. I'm getting deja vu. But if you look at these photographs, you will think that you are looking at like, a movie that's about an alternate history where the South won the Civil War. Yeah. That's literally what it looks like. Yeah. It's horrifying. And that is happening. That's going on today because of for-profit prisons. Right. Um, now, Worry Free is not necessarily that <laughs> it's not technically a prison because people aren't going there because they committed crimes. But they are um, going there because they're, they, they're, you know, they're going there because they, they you need know, a job. They're, right. And, you know. and there's actually at one point um, the main character's uncle. Uh, and I'm saying the main character. His name is Cassius Green. Cassius which is, Green. His name is Cassius Green. <laughs> um, his uncle is about to get foreclosed on and is very worried about money. And he says, well, maybe I'll go, you know, go sign up for Worry Free and get, yeah. you know, three hots and a cot. And that. So it's basically a world in which poverty and financial devastation are so bad that people agree to basically go be slaves just so that they don't starve to death or end up homeless yeah. or and not it's be like, able to get medical it, care. And it's one of those things where it's like, if it's a issue of like, you know, coercion, what's that thing where it says like, if you're put, pushed into slave labor, not because someone held a gun to your head, but because, well, you just kind of don't have a choice. And I mean, you can do whatever you want. You could. Yeah, it's under, time, it's under duress. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and, yeah. and I thought it was interesting. There was one. Uh, There's one scene where they do a lot of TV gags, where uh, uh, where they show you like you know how the world is outside of where mm -hmm. they immediately are. And there's one scene where they go to in TV cribs, uh, uh, worry free edition, and they show like. And at first, I wasn't like getting what was happening, but like the guy there just looks so like weirdly brain dead without he's like looking at the camera like, "Yo, man, we're gonna show you how you live." Three hots and a cot. It's so cool. And it's like MTV Cribs is usually like, oh, look at my big, nice place. But then you keep looking off to the left and the right, and there's all it's the like people dressed just like him in cots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and he's trying so hard to make it look like this is fun. Like, yo, come right over here. I think at one point he like, is eating. 
apparently they have to eat their meals in their beds yes. on the cafeteria trays. And he's, like, eating food off of, I guess, his wife's tray. And, like, it, it's clearly just almost inedible. Um, yeah. So there, there are all these... So I was going to say about worry-free, like, oh, yeah. worry-free is subtly and gradually seeded through the movie um, at first... At, before the like big introduction of it which is really interesting like they they see the commercials on tv and then they see the mtv cribs thing and Mm -hmm. um and it just keeps coming up more and more until it becomes a major plot point and there are all these little magical realism touches when he first starts working at the call center the um the calls are visualized in such a way that his desk crashes through people's ceilings and he's like physically sitting there face to face with the people he's talking to which um you know is kind of funny for a few moments like there's a lady who's fucking on her couch who answers her uh, phone for some reason (laughs) um Uh, and and then there's this heartbreaking just biting where with this old lady is dealing with bills and she's crying and her husband's dying of cancer and Cassius, and you see the the pain on his face when he's doing this, but he's been told stick to the script, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Well, uh, 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 there's a book about wellness, so it's funny you yeah. should say that." Oh. And it's it's so horrible, and I feel and like I felt like anybody who has worked like an awful sales job or anything, like I worked as a canvasser briefly and i felt like i was in situations like that where it's like you you have to almost like turn off your basic human empathy mm. to just keep pushing no matter what and it's it's a horrible situation uh. to be in terry <laughs> cruz is super funny as yeah. uh the uncle yeah um who is cassius is living in the uncle's garage which yes. at the very beginning you think he's just in a little crummy apartment mm-hmm. and he and his girlfriend are are about to you know start to They're about to make love in such a cool scene and then yeah it's She's great. We have to talk about her in a second. Oh, that's but so, then, much so they're right about to get it on, <laughs> and the garage door opens. Yeah, and of course, like the whole block is. Yeah, but because you know you're in the you're in the scene, you're kind of just thinking like it looks like a normal room. But through that opening up, it just like weirds your brain out in yeah. such a weird way of like what? That's not supposed to be how a room is. So like, what the hell's happening in this movie? But what I love about that is it's a magical realism fake out moment yeah, because his it, room really is like yeah in that really garage. Is just a garage door. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, even though, like, your brain would go, like, whoa, a, a wall door wouldn't open, but it's like, oh, it's throwing you for the loop, because, like, that is a realistic thing. But then later on in the film, it does these weird things that throw you for loops, and then it's leaving you question, like, wait, was there an explanation for that? Or You know what I mean? I love it. Um, but just how the scene starts. So we have Lakeith Stanfield, which I just want to say. I love him. Oh, my God. One of my favorite modern actors. He just has a certain, like, character energy to him that yeah. just, like, no one he's, else has, you know? And he's different in everything. Like, you've got some actors Absolutely. who just, like, kind of play themselves and everything, but he's got a very different energy in this than he does in, like, Atlanta. Uh, very just, different energy than, um, um, what's the big movie he was in with Jordan was, Peele? He, yeah, he was in Get Out. Get Out, yes. Very different energy. He's got this, like, he plays this character that I feel like if you are our age and you lived through the Great Recession, you will relate to this character. Absolutely. Because <laughs> he's got this sort of passive hangdog 
uh, thing going on, and it's like every like he's trying, but he also just kind of seems like he's being buffeted around by everything that's happening to Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. He's he's really really good in this. Yeah. There's one scene where it's like he. It seems like he's trying to stand up to his uncle by being like, "Well, you know, uh, you're telling me that I should pay rent, but it's people like you that make it hard for us to be able to, you know, uh, you know, this land should be for anyone anyway. It should be for everyone because God made this land before it, and you guys just buy." up and, and you know keep fi- it for your family and that's before he, and then he finds out yeah because you think he's just standing up to his landlord and then yeah. you find out that's his uncle yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like man i am your family <laughs> um but yeah at the very beginning of the scene you know uh so the very no 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 the very beginning uh is actually like a very interesting sort of like subversion of the idea of like meritocracy and shit right so he's going to this interview and the guy, you know, the the boss is like, you know, looking like, what are your credentials mm-hmm. and stuff? And he said, oh. This is one of these surreal moments. He literally, at first he hauls out an employee of the month plaque and is like, that's right. a little weird. And then he hauls out this giant trophy. Yeah, I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, oh, I, I was like, did you get that for football? What are you doing? But he was just like, oh, I won, uh, you know, for such and such. Like, like Some kind of academic club. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. And uh, he goes like, oh, yeah, and I was uh, two years, uh, I, I worked for two years at some, like, co- copy shop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the uh, he was a regional manager in Oakland yeah. or something. Yeah, at the bank. And the boss goes like, that's very interesting, because I did work there at this exact time that you put here, and I don't remember anyone of your fucking name. And it's like, oh, and the guy that you uh, listed as your reference... Yeah, that guy just joined this job a couple of days ago. (laughs) So I know because his, uh, what was it? His uh, outgoing, you know, message thing was, sup, it's me. (laughs) Like something that sounds completely unprofessional. And then you're going to, and and that one's kind of a fake out too, because you think this is going to be okay and he doesn't get the job and this is going to be about him not being able to get a job. But he does, the manager's like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So it's just like immediately you're just throwing this idea of meritocracy out the window, right? Of just like, oh, he did everything that you're supposed to do. Look, I look at the, the upright citizen, you know, that I'm supposed to be. And it's like, I don't care. Can you do da 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 da? And it's like, oh, uh, oh, okay, yeah, I can. Yeah, do you're a warm body. Welcome aboard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but then going from that, uh, we go into uh, uh, his his scene in his room with so between Lakeith Stanford and. Let's have the thirst corner right now. Fucking Tessa Thompson. She is gorgeous. Dear Lord, with yeah. the colored hair. That, mm-hmm. She's so a manic pixie dream girl in this movie. She is. Well, I, I think that her character is very well written, and I don't think mm. she's actually... I don't think she's a manic pixie dream girl exactly. Like She's not a 500 Days of Summer Zoe Deschanel. Right. Like I'm just here to make your life better right, type of shit, because right? because she... Like, she does act as sort of, like, a moral voice of reason to him, but she doesn't fix things for him, and she doesn't complete him, and her influence doesn't, like, fill a void for him or anything like that. Um, And also, like, she's not just this sort of perfect voice of reason either, because she actually gets, like... At one point, he kind of calls her out on hypocrisy, and the movie calls her out on some hypocrisy, and um, and I think that makes her character a lot more interesting and yeah. in depth because she, like everybody in the movie, is a really imp- uh, well rendered, well rounded, 
you know, flawed person with good points and bad points. Mm-hmm. I, I think all the characters are just really... You're so right. They're all really, like, well-rounded. Even, like, the the guy who's kind of the... Um, you know the the like rival for her attention. Who's the like super cool union? Oh, the Chinese dude, Squeeze. Yeah, Squeeze is like Squeeze is so cool. He's he's like this insanely cool, and he can yeah. like break dance, and he's like goes around the country starting unions. Yeah, I was like, wait, hold on and, a second, like, <laughs> who's and, this rival around yeah, <laughs> And he's ridiculously good looking and and seductive, and it's like okay, like yeah, yeah, yeah. but then like he also like thinks he got an STD and accidentally starts rambling about it in the middle of a rally. Yeah, you know? yeah. So And but what I I love about them is that like, yeah, they are these perfectly flawed characters, but they see they're still human enough where like the parts where they divulge and get angry at each other are still handled weirdly humanistically. Like there's a scene where they're like two characters are confronting each other about like one where person going through the strike. Cassius and it's Cassius and his friend Sal. Yeah. So yeah, so this is, I mean, again, if you're listening, hopefully you have <laughs> seen the movie <laughs> and you don't have to explain this. But yeah, so basically the everybody on the floor starts striking. And at this point, Cassius has been promoted to being a power caller, which we'll have to talk about. Mm. Oh my God, there's so much in this movie. There's so much. <laughs> there's so much. Um, he's been promoted to being a power caller and he... Uh, and he doesn't want to join the strike because he's, you know, he considers himself above it. He's not in the same, he's not on the same floor And anymore. also, let's keep in perspective, like, he is like, I'm, my uncle needs to, he's right. not going to have a place. That, is, you know, they, they put in the reality of it's not just, I'm just looking out for number one. It's like, right. no, there's real stakes and, and in my life. And that's the thing. That's why, like, it makes him, I think it's, it's makes it a lot more engaging because as an audience member, you can't just go, oh, come on, man, you're making the obvious bad choice because Mm -hmm. his uncle's about to get his house foreclosed on and go voluntarily become a slave. Like, it's understandable that he would not want to give up a a well-paying job and, and, you know, you don't automatically go, oh, man, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you join the strike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, in that scene, like, there's a scene where, like, two, uh, him he, and his friend are getting... and his friend, Sal, are, and they're in a fight and they're, like, getting in each other's faces and stuff. Yeah. But everything they say is a compliment. They're like, you smell really good, man. What's that? What's that? Aftershave? Yeah? <laughs> but, we should we should go out sometime. I'll get you a drink. Yeah? My treat. But and, it's, like, <laughs> it's just great how it starts off, though, because it's, like, it's the sort of scene where you're just like, I'm just, you know, I'm being formal with you and not saying, like, what's the wrong thing, but you can tell that there's something on my mind. Like, you know, it's like, oh, how you doing? Oh, you're going to the job? Oh, yeah. No, I, well, I hope you have a good day. I hope you have a good day, too. I hope you have a good week. I hope you have a good month. Right, I mean, it just, like, <laughs> it just, just like, escalates. And and it's, like... But in the opposite way that you would think. Yeah, because usually it's like, oh, we're getting angry at each other at odds, but there's that still that sense of, like, oh, but we're friends, and I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to push you and shove it's, you, you know? It's very sweet and very funny, and... And yet, so this, the big conflict of the movie, um, the big conflict of the movie for a big chunk of it is that uh, Cassius has become a power caller, which involves him 
taking a weirdly uh, sexually aggressive elevator. <laughs> which, again, if you haven't seen this movie, shame on you. We told you to go away. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, a sexually aggressive elevator. Oh, my God. Um, like, literally, there's one point where it says, like, I may just be an AI in a, a elevator, but, oh, my goodness, I wish I could just massage your brain, sir. Yeah, it's like, it talks to, like, I hope you haven't masturbated today because oh you need God. your seed. Yeah, yep. you need your virility. Which, it's like, where is this happening? Yeah, there's like, they said a few times, like, I hope you haven't masturbated, we need you sharp, which, like, I, I mean, I don't, like. There's a weird online thing about that. There's, like, I know that whole, like, no fat thing. It's like, yeah. I don't know. I know a lot of, I feel like for a lot of people that I know, including myself, like, if you get, like, if you're just, like, really horny, it's distracting. And, like, it makes you less sharp. Uh, but, anyway, and um, hoozles. Well, well, I, I want to <laughs> jump back to the very beginning, uh, a little point that I was going to yeah, say yeah. about Tessa Thompson. See, yes. Oh, yeah, the third quarter, real quick. Oh, my God, she's so freaking hot. She is oh my, really And, hot, oh, my yeah. God, she's such a good actress. Oh, my God, she's just, like, the complete package. And I think she is in a relationship with uh, Janelle Monet, which just... Oh, uh, just melting at the idea. Uh, nice, <laughs> nice. But yeah, she's incredible. She's an incredible performer. She, it's like, it is a combination of, because like, her character's not perfectly written because there are still like weird eccentricities that are just kind of like, well, who would talk like that? Like, who would say that? But like, the movie imbues it in this way that like and her acting and the way that she delivers it a lot it's in that like will smith sort of way where it's like even if this didn't work i've got the charisma where i made it work though well, you know she's, like <laughs> she's very charismatic and it's weird because it's like she is pretentious like factually yes, yes. she's pretentious <laughs> but it feels weird to call her pretentious because she's so charismatic yeah. that she's not like it's not irritating. Yeah, At she's least, not I did not, Right, like she's pretentious, but it's not irritating the way it would be <clears throat> if she was less charming. Yeah, yeah. She, she's not the type of person who would be like, no, you just don't get it. She would just be like, hey, smoke some weed. I'm just going to talk to you about this. Right. Yeah, she's that and, type of person. Yeah, and she, um, there are, the, the cinematography in this is really interesting because it's like so she, she's an artist and she makes these very eccentric earrings. A lot of them, <laughs> the fucking um, earrings. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them are text. So like yes. they have one that says "kill, kill, kill," and murder, like, murder, 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 kill, kill, kill. She has some. That's that the are, first one you see, and yeah, she presents it like it gives you these close-ups right, so that like you can see them. And there's like a little sound cue. <laughs> yes, it's so um, like and later she has, strange. Later she has earrings where they're of. A pair of electric chairs, and one of them actually has a prisoner in oh the electric my God. chair. God! And someone makes this really dark joke of like, like, "Hey, it's your boyfriend, your ex-boyfriend yeah. down there." And she's like, "Oh Jesus!" But she's just like laughing about it like, yeah. "Fucking life, am I right?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's just so fucking an energy that it's like I've never seen a character like this in a movie. Yeah, and you know? it's like, and she's interesting because. Um, she even like her art career is treated in a really sort of subtle and not cliched way because you see her outside working as a sign twirler yeah. and so she clearly like does have to do stuff other than her art to survive mm -hmm. and yet she also has like seems fairly successful like she's got this gallery show and uh Cassius at one point talks about her selling art to rich people yeah 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 um and so 
you know, it, it feels like this very sort of nuanced and realistic portrait of a working artist where she has some success. She's not just this sort of stereotype of an unsuccessful broke artist, but just because she has some success doesn't mean that she doesn't also have to, you know, go still do things to make ends meet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I, I like that. Yeah, at one point she joins uh, the call the call place. Yeah, where, she, where which the, it's it's interesting because her getting the job there is given like no attention at all. Yeah, it's uh, just like really just, quick. You almost just, miss it. Yeah, she just shows up there at one point. You notice she's there, and I mean, it's been established earlier that they'll just hire anybody, so it's not. Yeah, and and that was another thing that I noticed. Like, so there's a quick montage of him like getting good calls and doing really well, and like, it's not that much time is supposed to have passed. And if you look around, every time it cuts, there's like a new person. At, like, it's yeah. a wide enough shot where you can see, and it's like people just there, keep changing, and it's just like, oh yeah, because it's this type of job. It's that kind of high turnover. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, like, that was one thing that I had forgotten because it is so so it's such a blip that she shows up because she's participating in the strike, and it's like, what? How? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, right, she actually works there. Yeah. Okay. I was I was paying attention. Like, I had to pay attention to this part. So she joined, and then she left because around the time that the strike was happening was when he got the good job because mm -hmm. they were thinking everyone was going to get threatened and he unexpectedly was like, oh, you're going to promote me? Uh, right. And so he didn't know how to handle it and uh, so they started doing well but she was just like, hey, but, you know, it's an odd tension, maybe I don't want to be a part of the job. Lakeith Stanfield does a great job of portraying this character who is like, you want to root for him but at the same time you're seeing the flaws of the character, mm -hmm. right? And there's one scene in particular where it made it really kind of hard where he's participating in the strike breaking thing with the police in front of him guiding his way and like the police are just like pummeling motherfuckers left and right and he's like i'm just walking not, through here's the thing they're not even police they're um i think they're referred to as stack water oh my which God. if you uh if you get that reference mm. they're they are uh corporate they're corporate goons basically wow. they're yeah they're not even like actual, yeah so that um yeah it's that's like i think a very very low moment for his character and because yeah you're right it's like you can understand his struggle he's not heroic but yeah. he's an everyman he's a normal guy he's not any worse than an average person but then when you see him yeah when you see him following the stackwater juggernaut that's mm -hmm. clobbering protesters to get to his cushy high-paid job uh you know that is a moment where you're like oh man no now you you fucked up yeah you're losing me yeah yeah and she starts calling him out about it you know, when they're uh, hanging out at the apartment. And that was the moment where I did think it also, again, added some depth to her character that mm. this character is, you know, very charming and seems to be right about a lot of stuff. And she's kind of the voice of reason in a lot of ways. But she's also a little hypocritical because she's sleeping with him in that nice apartment. She's right. riding around with him in the fancy new car. Also, as he points out, like, she just kind of puts on her own fakeness, which we yeah. see explicitly later. Yeah. Um, you know, to sell art to rich people. And he's like, how is that changing? How is that helping anything? Mm -hmm. How is that making a difference? So now uh, we have to talk about white voice. Oh, yeah. I just got <laughs> to saw the we note. haven't even got, which I feel like that was, that was something that was mentioned in reviews that I had read prior yes. to seeing this. And 
What's fascinating about that is that that seemed to be like the hook of what the movie was. But when you go into the actual movie, you're so mesmerized by everything else that's happening that you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, right. That was like the hook, wasn't it? Well, and that's the funny thing. It's like, again, talking about this movie, it's really hard to talk about it without the spoilers. Um, and I think, you know, with reviewers where they couldn't spoil it, um, you know, they couldn't talk about the big twist. And so they had to focus on the stuff that happens earlier, which, yeah, yeah. makes like I went into this movie thinking that I was going to be watching a movie about racial tension in the workplace. Mm-hmm. That is not <laughs> this movie. <laughs> not I mean, really, there yeah. is there are obviously there's like racial issues, there's class issues, there's a lot of that, but it goes beyond just. It's not about a guy who feels like he has to act white in the workplace, and that is the central conflict. Yeah, that is not yeah. the movie. Danny Glover shows up in an incredible yes. cameo role. First, like, just speaking with that, like, low growl. He's in, like, oh, mm-hmm. blood, you got to understand what, how to how to sell these fools. He's, he's the, like, the wise old mentor. Exactly. He ends up not having much of a role beyond well, he, that. he doesn't like, have much of a role, but how his role gets used is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. he's the one who tells him basically like, look, this is how you do it if you want to get this job. You mm-hmm. got to put on the voice. And I love how they specifically like break down the psychology of the white voice. I was like, it's not exactly just about like the whiteness or oh, just holding your nose. It's like, it's about projecting that sense of security. You know, that that uh, that sense of like not worrying about things that that whiteness is assumed to entail. Mm-hmm. It's about embodying that through the voice. Like that's how he's kind of like uh, personifies it to, yeah. to explain it. And you know, he puts on his voice and you see Danny Clover with the white guy with, and it's so... And all the white voices, <laughs> by the way, like, uh, well, Cassius's white voice and Danny Glover's white voice are overdubbed with yes. like it's it's not even it's not them doing white voice it is like overdubbed it, with I don't know who, two voices oh so uh, uh, Cassius Cassius Green's voice is David Cross I thought that was David Cross <laughs> and I Mr. Bleep's voice is yeah. uh, 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 Patton Oswalt oh, <laughs> it's I, two of the whitest white guys was, I'm like and they're hilarious comedians just to boot so I was just like it was just a delight to hear I their did voices not catch that that was I thought that was David Cross I did not catch Patton Oswald at all yeah um, so um yeah and like and what's funny about it's like this movie is so weird and reality breaking right so like you know Danny Glover puts on his white voice and it's like you know it's so affecting as you see it because you know you're so used to like the jokey comedy routine the deaf comedy about like you know the white guys talk like this and so to see it like happening so blatantly on the street you're just like oh man what type of weird silly movie are we in for but then it like weirdly calls itself out like in the next scene where he uh Lakeith um Cassius is getting drunk with his friends, and you know he's he, he, the movie gets really hazy to show his drunkenness, and then he like just kind of assumes the voice and is able to do the David uh, David Cross right, voice. Right, he does a he does a toast, and so he's like, "Well, I'm doing a toast, which is a very white thing to do, so I'm going to go ahead and do mm-hmm. white voice." And, and then his friend goes like, "Whoa, that was some weird shit. That was like you were fucking overdubbed or some shit. Like yeah. that didn't look realistic at all." And I yeah. just love that. It is. I feel like for some reason. I didn't, like, the first time through, I didn't notice just how obvious the overdub was. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's it's really funny. Um, and then he very quickly, because he does the white guy voice, he becomes very good at selling encyclopedias um, on the phone. And he very quickly becomes 
um, a power caller. In fact, yeah, right after the strike, they call him in and he thinks he's going to get fired. Um, and it's really funny because they say, you know, pack your stuff, you're moving out. And he goes, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> and, the, um, and the new team leader who's this like, you know, obnoxiously bubbly woman. Oh my God. She's like the corporate team cheerleader. It's so interesting. Oh, oh, and she is, and yeah. she's sitting there uh, and she's she's sitting there and he like gets right in her face and like, fuck you. And she just kind of looks like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And, and they uh, start laughing because they're like, no, um, you were not firing And then you. They, they tell him that he's promoted. Um, but what I like about those three characters, like, yeah. in another, like they seem like they're going to the, be a bigger part of the role. Like it's going to be some mm -hmm. office space shit between them. Yeah. But no, not really. But they're, the the way their character is used is like they're weirdly intimidating at first where you're like like especially that first mm -hmm. older looking like weird emaciated face looking guy yeah. who's just like like the closers and the, he's using all this weirdly esoteric language and then the next guy comes up and goes like okay that wasn't sanctioned what we're actually yeah. trying to do is no that's yeah the court the three people who work at a uh, regal view yeah is yeah, the name yeah of the company which kept making me think about the movie theater but <laughs> me um, too. but the the three people are the the heavier guy who is the one who hires him. Right, the guy the, looks like Sam The really Heidecker. skinny, scruffy guy. They're all kind of scruffy, actually. Yeah. Like, I loved how they looked like corporate but also scruffy and disreputable like, yeah, like they look like like these are the bosses that you're supposed to be afraid of but if you pay attention it's like wait do they know what they're doing like you know they, it's that they, type of like thing. they look like the the skinny guy looks like he doesn't shower and <laughs> he and even like the the lady who's like the kind of corporate cheerleader like she doesn't have a super polished look like she doesn't yeah. look like that cutthroat corporate bitch and and didn't the, she say she just started working there? Yeah, she was she was new. Um, but the skinny guy, like, they're doing, like, a corporate pep rally, and he's up there saying, you got a bag and tag it. It's like when you yeah. you kill somebody, and you got the body, <laughs> and then you're trying to drag the body, but then you, you put the toe tag on it instead, and that's... Uh, what? Huh? And, and then, yeah, the other guy says that was not an improved metaphor. <laughs> um, yeah. So we... So, uh, and we get a quick glimpse of um, of the elevator to the power caller heaven um, hmm. at the beginning, where it's this just ridiculously ornate, gilded Golden, age looking yeah. elevator. Um, and I think we see we see the guy, Mister Bleep, come out of it right in the beginning, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So Mister Bleep with the eye patch and the freaking strong ass yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, mutton chops. Yeah. So so Mister Bleep, we're saying Mister Bleep, but it, like they censor his name. Yeah. Whatever um, his name is, I'm Mister. Which is yeah. interesting because he's not even necessarily the most powerful character as we yeah. see later. Also, there's he's somebody just the most intimidating. Yeah. Well, so that that. There's a whole interesting dynamic there. But so there's somebody, there's also an unseen, I don't even know if I want to say a character, but there's somebody called Hal Johnson, I think. Yeah, that they keep bringing they up. They keep bringing up like the greatest power caller, Hal Johnson. Someday you could be like Hal Johnson. And we never really learned yeah, anything else. I, I remember my than, brain having that moment of like, am I supposed to know who which he is? I, I loved that. I loved that like they just kept saying that and then it was just not like didn't mean it. On. yeah yeah but um so he finally gets to go up the the cheerleader the corporate cheerleader lady um I'm, yeah she's like she, buttering him up and saying she, all this nice right shit. and she gets in the elevator and dials and it just becomes absolutely absurd because it's just this like <laughs> little push button panel that looks like a like a old 
like an old fashioned landline phone and she's just pushing buttons and pushing buttons and they start to like do her hand in like fast motions. And yeah, like at first it's like, you know, like, all right, the bit of a long code. And then like, like it just blurring a keeps little, going. To the point that she's probably put in like 60 numbers. Yeah. And I, and I was thinking like, is that the code that unlocks the thing that was talking to her? And it's like, no, that's him? just how they get to the floor. <laughs> um, and she, yeah. And so, um, and they get up there and it is, you know, bef- previously we've been in this like, you know, really kind of dingy, low fluorescent lit ceilings and gross carpet and cubicles. Mm-hmm. And then they get up to the just most beautiful, off, like the most beautiful corporate space you can imagine. It's like got these high ceilings and wooden floors and glass divisions. Mm-hmm. And it's just this and like, like sculptural concrete. And it's just this ridiculously beautiful space. Um and he meets this guy who is like the high rolling corporate, you know, he's like the high rolling power collar guy. And he's in a really nice suit and wearing a bowler hat, fake looking mutton chops and an mm-hmm. eye patch. Yeah. And he, and he, and his name is censored. And then we find out that what the power collars are selling is slave labor. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh. <laughs> they are selling the labor of worry-free because the way that worry-free operates is even though what they advert they advertise publicly to people to come work there but that's obviously not how they make their money they make money by selling the labor of those people to uh you know to uh, manufacturers mm-hmm. and in fact I think the first call we see him make on that level is really funny because he drops into the bathroom of a Japanese manufacturer oh, yes. and the guy's sitting on the toilet and it, he reaches over and turns on the guy's bidet while he's talking <laughs> to him it's like he literally just reaches over and shoots water into the guy's ass while he's talking to him and giving him compliments like your deal on the you know Yakamoto thing was incredible right and so you see him just immediately immediately like really becoming this high roller and like reading all this sort of training literature uh and um and he and he's there well into the evening and leaves um and leaves detroit uh waiting for waiting for him sitting on the sidewalk because she expected him to pick him up and it's one of those things that i feel like in a lesser movie would have been made more of Mm -hmm. um and it would have been this huge dramatic thing but i liked that it was sort of realistically it's like an irritation and a disappointment but it's like the kind of thing that happens with couples and it's you know yeah so going back to danny glover real quick i thought Mm -hmm. it was interesting that like so he's the guy who teaches him about the white voice thing Mm -hmm. but he doesn't take the, the deal to go up to the upper office. He doesn't uh, join the people who are breaking the strike because when it comes, when we're talking about when a squeeze, the Chinese dude starts talking about like, yo, this is what we're going to do. You, you look over and see Danny Glover. He's wearing like this weirdly bowler hat looking thing, but yeah. he's like down for the cause. He was yeah. like, yeah, he's one of the first people saying, fuck them if, if they don't want to do it. So it's like, it's interesting to see like, here's an older man. He knows the game. He's the one who's mm-hmm. telling you how to do it. And even he's not going for it. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, even he's like, no, there's a certain limit. Because, like, there's a conversation he's having where Lakeith is, you know, doesn't understand the stakes. And he goes like, oh, so, like, you know, in Danny Glover saying, like, no, what they're doing and what we're doing are two very different things when it comes to, like, the upper, you know, management and mm-hmm. what we're doing. And he's just like, oh, so you're saying it's, like, comparing apples to oranges. He's like, no, it's more like comparing apples to the Holocaust. And he's just like, 
<laughs> like it's like you know like well, that feels a little darkly overstated like what and then, hold and on then you there find out that and they're then literally you find out. they're they are selling <laughs> they sell the labor of the worry free slaves yeah and they also sell uh weapons of war yeah so they're so completely mm -hmm. evil yeah and um and it's it's cool to see uh yeah going to squeeze his character i love how that character is used in general because like yeah he's one of the guys who's like you know it, it seems like he yeah goes around the country doing this where it's like, like mm -hmm. and they trying to say he's like in general a rapper out there but i'm like all right that's weird but like you know i, I like how he's used here in the sense of like yeah he's uh you know, talking to people about, like, yeah, you know, we should be getting paid more. Like, it sucks that they're treating us like this. Like, he's making these logical points. And then, like, the person who, he's the person who's the catalyst for getting everyone together. It's not the main character like it usually is in movies. You know what I'm saying? And then there's a certain point where, so Tessa, uh, Tessa Thompson's character gets fed up with Lakeith. And, like, they kind of break it off for a bit. And she kind of gets sweet on uh, uh, Squeeze. Which, I mean, he's really hot. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is also really hot. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's a girl Squeeze to do? Is really hot. They're, they're all hot, but but Squeeze, you know, like physical attractiveness aside, you know, um, Cassius is being kind of waffly yes. and doing things that aren't really very admirable, and Squeeze is this like you know Angel Ross figure. He's this like you know sexy revolutionary, right? Like, oh yeah. yeah, when you die, the resistance lives on. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's that type of guy. And um, and, and it seems like they have like a genuine moment where uh, where he does uh, come by and see her at her job, and he's like, oh hey, that's what he says. Like, oh, can I do the you know sign flipping thing? And you see, and he's doing it really well. And she's like, oh, that's really cool. And you see, like she's like, like no, I get how you would be charmed by this guy. And then they hook up at one point. Like it's made known that they had hooked up. And then, like, but, you know, all right, they, they had an energy they were feeling, but and they just kind of didn't want to continue. And then, like, later on in the movie, she gets back with Lakeith, and they don't treat it like it's some, you know, relationship ruining, this is why I got to scream at you sort of thing. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, no, you're right. We weren't together at that point. Like, yeah, yeah you're I, allowed I really, to be your own person outside of that, you I know? I really like that this movie doesn't make big, overdramatic things Absolutely. of stuff that's, like, just normal life stuff. In fact, what's interesting is that the like that is not treated like it's that big of a deal but the part where they're trying to get the covers is like treated like the that, biggest fucking well, deal that, and, and in a way of course like, it's symbolic and, yeah but also like that's realistic like if you've ever been in a long-term relationship the biggest fights you have <laughs> with your partner are generally not gonna be about big important stuff they're gonna be about like oh my fucking god why did you leave the towel on the floor one more fucking time like i asked you not to leave the fucking towel on the floor mm. like that kind of thing is what couples actually fight about right. so I, I really i liked that we've got to talk about her art show real quick oh yeah actually, no, i'm getting she, to it i'm getting to yeah, it yeah yeah she and so, squeeze hook up right after her art show. so yeah and and it's it's such a like the scene, how I think, like the the the, the punctuation mark on their scene together is is the part where he like squeeze goes in to sort of like do the thing where you're like you know using your thumb to like mm -hmm. put get something off of someone's cheek and and he's just like whoa that's a little weird why are you going in like that and he's pointing out that like oh you got a little bit of the left eye organization makeup still on you which was the thing that people uh was a part of the organization of people who are you know raising shit about mm -hmm. the, the worry free it's corporation. sort of an antifa like yeah uh, it's it's you know like 
well, what conservatives think Antifa is. <laughs> yeah, but um, I love how that scene worked in that it was like, oh, is he going in for something a little cute, a little jiggy there? And it was like, no, I'm actually trying to help you out by, you know, helping them not see that you have that on you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I like how they did that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you, so at the end of that scene, like, they, they're angled in a certain way. We mentioned their earrings earlier. They're angled in a certain way where you're only seeing one side of her face where it says, deep in your face. And I was like, what? It, oh, I didn't even catch that. That's and, really. But then when it goes to the next scene where uh, she, where uh, Lakeith picks her up, because yeah, yeah, she, he picks her up a little later. Um, you see, uh, Barry the rag on the other side of her uh, earring. Oh. So uh, then you see it all together, and it says, "Bury the rag deep in your face." And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like I just love how like the shit she wears is so. Um, she, she has a shirt that says the future is female ejaculation. Yes, I love it. I love how her shirts just, like go just over the line enough for it to she warrant has, the prominence has, that it, they give her in these she, shots. She has a shirt with like the woman symbol, like the circle with the cross coming out of it, yeah. except it's two of them, one over each boob. Yes. Like, it's, <laughs> and it's so great. Yeah. And it's like, but it never feels like the 90s sort of, I'm a feminist and I'm just, you know, annoying. Like, you, you know what? I'm saying right it's clearly supposed to be tongue-in-cheek and she means it in a tongue-in-cheek yes. way and I and also like the earrings get that presentation but the t-shirts you have to just notice yourself <laughs> yeah so yeah they, they get to the part where she's setting up her uh setting up her exhibit and he comes into the room and you know he he's talk he's talking to her about her thing and she's like I'm so proud of this thing because you know I I wanted this uh, art exhibit to be about Africa and how you know the stealing of labor and and she starts going on about this thing and it sounds legitimately interesting like I'm hearing her and I'm like oh I want to hear where she's going and then it starts fading out because mm-hmm. like he isn't paying attention yeah. and it's either played as either he's tired or he just wants to smoke weed it kind of both I got the impression he was like tired and. Straight stressed out and she's holding a joint in her hand and he's just kind of like like hypno in a one level it's like oh the cool stylized thing of it but on a certain level I'm just like don't be shitty to your girlfriend man she's being cool right now yeah. <laughs> it's like don't be a shitty woman she's talking about important shit and you're just like oh yeah no I heard you it's all about how uh, capitalism is booming in Africa it's like oh my god yeah <laughs> so the art show itself um, I think they, they have just broken up but he comes to her art show anyway mm-hmm. and the oh yeah so he this is important he is uh, going into work behind the juggernaut right after they've broken up because and it's it's a really good transition because they're having this conversation and she says look if you go back to work and you don't stand with the strikers we're through and then it cuts to a close up on him and you think that at first for a second like oh he's made the right choice he's standing with the strikers but no he's going into work behind the juggernauts yeah. again and a protester throws a can of Coke at his head (laughs) and she says, have a cola and smile, bitch. Yeah. And she throws this can of Coke at his head and it hits him in the forehead and he's bleeding. And from the next scene onward for uh, most of the rest of the movie, he's got this like, cartoon white bandage wound mm-hmm. around his head with a big blood spot. It's such a like and it, it's, like it's, interesting looking just image. It's, <laughs> it's very cartoonish and like theatrical looking because it's not 
Like, it doesn't look like a practical modern bandage. It looks like a white headband that's been tied around his head. Yeah. And the blood never, like, yeah. like Ugh. he, yeah, like, it never seems to get better. Because he's wearing this for, like, yeah, it, days. You see it spread slowly, actually. Right. <laughs> and he's he's got this thing for days while wearing, like, a really nice suit. And yet he never, like, gets a nice little normal-looking bandage put on his head. <laughs> um, and so that felt very symbolic. And, and I think, actually, the... A lot of the promo images of the movie have that bandage. Yeah, yeah. And so, so um, they get he gets into an argument before he leaves her, though. Mm-hmm. And he's, they're talking about like, you know, you're cool with like selling slave labor, and he says that, and he basically says like, what is it, slave labor these days, you know? And she's like, oh, you're just sidestepping the conversation. You fucking sidestep like the goddamn Temptations, which is a great line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then he like retorts, he's like, well, you know, what the fuck is Squeeze gonna do about it ultimately? What are you really doing about selling art to rich people? You know, what what does this really matter? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's that moment where. Where you're just like ah, uh, it's like they're making relatively like you know justifiable points, but in ways that are clearly ignoring each other. And you know, it's like that perfectly written dialogue where it's like stuff isn't being said, and you want it to be said, but yeah. that's how these conversations happen when people are just heated and angry at each other. And yeah. you know, point and, yeah and the points also that he's raising about you know the idea of no ethical consumption under capitalism. Right, that is. Um, you know, that's actually a really major theme in the movie that that comes up again and again. Um, so he so he's injured, he works all day, and then he is invited to a party. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Mr. Bleep tells him this is a really important party. And he's like, well, I've got to go to my girlfriend's art show, even though they've broken up, but he wants to go to the show. Yeah. And Mr. Bleep says, that's fine, I'll pick you up after. So he goes to the art show, and this is where we really see... Uh, Detroit being like less than the you know like super authentic cool girl that she's been the whole mm-hmm. time because now she is fine art artist who is trying to impress people who are going to pay potentially thousands of dollars for one of her pieces um, and she does uh, and so, so she's got her white voice on which actually has yes. a British accent a British accent and I remember having that moment of like because I know I've seen her and stuff where she plays a British person so I was like, I was like oh wait, wait is, is she, she originally British? British? yeah because yeah, she pulls it off so well that yeah. I was like oh and wait I, which accent I, is hers? I wasn't sure but I felt like even though it was white voice it didn't seem overdubbed that was her. no no that was her that was just her doing an accent yeah and what I think is interesting about that is that like so at first, I I was paying attention when she actually starts the exhibit and she's doing the British voice and having that moment of like, that's not how you normally were talking for the rest of the movie, though. But then I remember the scene like a minute beforehand where she's quickly talking to some of the investors and she has that British accent. Oh, yeah, still. yeah. She, yeah, and I was like, wait, huh? <laughs> and she, she has a British accent and she's got her hair, which has been loose and curly. The oh, whole yeah, fun movie. and curly she, and free. She's got her hair slicked back into this very slick blonde bun. Yeah. Um, and so she's clearly like just a different person in this mode. Um, and then she goes into this performance art piece yeah. where she is... And it's like the most like so, let me, Karen Finley ass. Like. Yeah, because uh, like so up to this point, I've been like, yeah, she's weird, and her eccentricities are so cool because like you know they may like take you out as like, whoa, who would say that? Who would talk like that? But it's in that way where you're just like, well, she would because she's just this weird type of person. Like mm-hmm. you get into it. This is the point where it kind of 
bent to the point of breaking to me where it felt kind of like that 90s, you know, uh, uh, the feminine goddess within beat poem where I, you know, put a microphone up to my vagina and let it speak. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, the slightly over the top say, sort of joint. It was over the top, but also I will say having been forced to watch a lot of performance art my mm. freshman year of college, it felt pretty accurate. <laughs> um, it felt, it's not too off though, yeah. Yeah, it, but, fe- it felt pretty accurate. I, I guess the reason why I felt that way is because it's like, okay, so... She wants people, because let's make this clear. While she's doing a, a monologue from the movie, uh, the last, the Motown, uh, uh, the Motown uh, produced film, uh, the Last Dragon, which is uh, that eighties movie about like you know the black guy who learns kung fu, you know that type of black exploitation film. Um, while she's reciting lines from that film, she wants them to throw bullets, cell phone cases, and balloons filled with sheep's blood in order to make a point about Africa's exploitation or something like that. And the whole time I'm just thinking, well, I mean, first of all, I'm thinking gorgeous ass Tessa Thompson. Who the fuck like, is throwing na- anything at her? But <laughs> Naked with uh, hands over her, like sculptural hands over her breasts. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Over her crotch with, I think the one over her crotch is flipping the bird. Yeah, it's flipping a middle finger. But, like, I'm just thinking, like, you know, okay, on some level, yeah, Marina Abramovic, you know, weird. I was going to say, I was going to say, I think it was a reference to that Maria Abramovic where she, like, had people cut her clothes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was something where it's like, people, yeah, there are all these items and you could use them on her. And one of them was a gun. And at some point, someone pointed the gun at her and, like, security had to stop them. Um... But uh, people will do that shit because people are awful. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I'm just watching this thing. I'm thinking like, okay, first of all, gorgeous ass uh, Tessa Thompson is who the fuck is throwing goddamn cell phone cases? Because that's what I'm thinking. Like her point is that like Coltan is used to make the cell phones Mm -hmm. and the bullets. It's like, I get your point, but you want people to throw bullets and cell phones that can take chunks out of your face? Yeah. and, And I think at one point she so. And it's interesting, actually, that um, it sort of just clicked for me that, you know, Cash is watching this happen to her hours after he got beamed in the head and badly injured. Mm. And, you know, so not only would this probably be upsetting to him anyway, but he literally, like, that morning got hit in the head with an object and got badly injured. And here they are throwing hard objects at her head. She illustrates the parallels. Motherfucker making me appreciate these scenes. And she she is not wearing a helmet at first, although she does end up putting a helmet on. I was like, okay, all right. Because he tries to stop it. He runs up and he's like, stop, stop. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? And you don't have to do this. And she tells him off and she's like, you're ruining my show. Get away. And then she's got the helmet on Mm. after that. Um, But it's... Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a scene where we see her being a little bit, you know, less than authentic um, and doing this sort of, yeah, this like kind of like... Yeah, but in order to prove a point about the exploitation of, you know, the people and stuff like that, right? Right, and and the question is, and I think like maybe I'm I'm just kind of jaded about the art world, but, Hmm. um, you know, but I think his point of what are you accomplishing with this is valid because i mean her art's beautiful the visual art she does is beautiful it's these big pieces that are maps of africa with oh different yeah things this looks really cool yeah um, i wanted to look at it more actually yeah yeah so you know she's a obviously a really talented artist but it's like okay so she's doing this very sort of esoteric weird random performance art where it's like okay yeah you're saying dialogue from a kung fu movie 
and you're and they're like okay you've got the connection with the cell phones but they're just you're asking people to throw cell phones at a naked lady who's saying lines from a kung fu movie yeah, yeah, and like... it's like okay what is this doing to help the people being exploited by mining in Africa? Yeah, like, how is this, what is this materially doing to, it, like, inform people? Like, right, yeah. and it kind of reminds me of the whole, like, awareness trend that uh, mm -hmm. I feel, you know, that's something I feel like since um, COVID started, we've seen a lot less of the awareness stuff. Because mm. probably like I feel like it's serious. <laughs> I feel like people are starting to realize that Amer that quote unquote awareness <clears throat> is a fucking crock of shit and mm. a scam and doesn't help anything. Like uh, it, it, I think it like really started with the Coney twenty twenty thing. Remember that shit where it was yeah. just like I'm spreading awareness about this bad guy and who might have art whose reign might have actually already been over because people didn't really know and not a people a lot of people cared to look up yeah. the specifics of like that guy or something like that. Or like you know breast cancer awareness month. Oh like, man. Has just because first of all, like you know, breast cancer, like people are aware of breast cancer. Breast cancer gets a ton of attention and funding. It's not actually one of the top killers of women. Like women are, I think, more likely to die of liver cancer. I think Whoa. I started or like <laughs> intestinal cancer. Like there's there's are cancers that are much more likely to kill women. But breast cancer, which is also cancer and sucks and isn't cute or funny or sexy, um, but it's just been an excuse for people to basically talk about boobies. Like, mm. there's the what color is your bra thing going around. And then um, there was one that was even worse. I remember one year, the quote-unquote, like, breast cancer awareness challenge the girls were doing was um, you were supposed to post where you like to put your purse down in your house but make it sound like it's sex and it's like what? like I like it on the kitchen table I like it on the floor I like it on my nightstand or whatever and it's like that literally doesn't even have anything to do directly with breasts <laughs> yeah um, and yeah so uh, that was a that was a tangent but, we, we were making um, a point how uh, yeah but yeah people... but I think it, it calls out that sort of like self-congratulatory like the slacktivist the, sort the of a... serious art about serious stuff that doesn't actually accomplish anything mm. and it's not to say like i believe in art for art's sake i think art right. is inherently a valuable thing and there's nothing like i don't think that art needs to accomplish things outside of just being beautiful or thought-provoking art but i do think the idea that you're like changing the world for the better because mm. you made art about a serious topic is something purely that, because you did that right. and not because of the the material not the material but the um well, the content of it of what, what it's really doing right and i think the conversation is really getting there now where people are saying like hey material reality is important people mm. need money people need health care people need this stuff people need violence to stop and it's not enough to just you know have these sort of high-flown ideas yeah yeah so we get to uh after that is a scene where cassius goes to the the party and immediately off the top where i'm not sure if we see him before we see him in like clips or something like that but we're introduced to the the CEO uh, savant of, mm -hmm. of the group. What's his name? Uh, Steve Lift. Steve Lift. Yeah, and he is so like the representation of the tech bro, like the douche CEO. <laughs> so I want to say real quick, like this party is the hinge on which the movie 
on which the whole movie rests. This mm. this party is where this movie goes from being about like struggles with work and class like one to guys, yeah. something way weirder. Um and yeah, he gets this big fucking mansion and it's this guy who's sort of like this douchey Elon Musk-ish, but mm-hmm. like, you know, like party guy. He's wearing like some kind of sarong thing, yeah. like, you know, in a robe and like walking around doing coke. The first we see of him is he's doing this just obscenely huge pile of coke. Yeah, and you're thinking like, oh my God. And then it like zooms out and he's just in a room with everyone else. And he's like, oh, what are y'all doing? Let's get back to the party, bitches. It's like, Jesus Christ. Right. He's just out of control, billionaire. Um, and so this is interesting and painful. There's a lot that's painful in this, um, in this sequence. Yeah. So Mr. Bleep is there. Mr. Bleep comes in with, um, with Cassius and he's not wearing his bowler hat. He's, uh, he's got the eye patch on still, right? But he's not wearing his bowler hat and he's not wearing a suit. He's in, it almost looks like a cowboy shirt. Or something. I, I can't remember. Like this weird... Like, some sort of argyle or something. Right, he's wearing like an argyle sweater or something. Um, and he... His whole posture suddenly becomes... He goes from being this just over-the-top, dashing, intimidating figure to sort of like crouching. You're and so right. He's like... His, I remember his, that striking me as like, huh. His mannerisms... He didn't are, seem like the same person. Yeah, yeah his mannerisms around this... Uh, around uh, Lyft, he's suddenly like subservient and he's kind of dancing around in front of him and like crouching. Yeah, and, and he's lower than him right, in the scene. His, yeah, yeah. his speech is different. Like he's still... He's talking with the white guy voice um, the whole time up until a certain point, but he's talking yeah. with the white guy voice but he just becomes like very, very submissive, mm-hmm. um, and it's very startling. Yeah, yeah, because he's a very imposing-looking guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got a freaking eye patch on and a, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, mutton chops. Yeah, and mutton chops for God's sake. That's a that's an interesting look. You don't see every day, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, so as the scene progresses, uh, Steve Lift is just like basically taking over the conversation going like oh yeah you know like i've seen some action with this shit and i'm sure you've seen some action in oakland too you probably know like a lot about rap in fact go ahead rap for us and he just like pushes him into it just like no come on well and and for context like the physical setup of this scene is very striking because it's he it's steve sitting in this chair surrounded by just a, like a pile of beautiful women. He's got like a whip, I think. I not, think. not like a whip, but like those whipping crops. You know, yeah, he's got a riding crop. Yeah. And he's just surrounded by just piles of beautiful women. Um, and like just purely decorative. Um, and they're all sort of clumped up in on the side of the room in front of I think a fireplace. Yeah. And then Cassius comes in and Lyft tells him to sit down on the floor in front of the fireplace. So he's sitting there on the floor in front of this crowd of people essentially, um, almost in the position of a storyteller, except that he is sitting on the floor. He's physically lower than them. He looks very uncomfortable. He's still got the bandage on his head. Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah, like all of a sudden Lyft just Basically says everything but, hey, you're black, therefore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah, and then they cut to the scene where, like, 
you know, he's starting, he, they're playing the beat and he's just sitting there oh awkwardly. God. This was, so my wife was watching this with me and it was her first time watching it and she was sitting there like cringing and going, oh God, oh God, oh God. And <laughs> I was so like, great. oh, it gets worse. It gets yeah. worse. So, it gets worse. Yeah. And now I like partially didn't feel like they went far enough. <laughs> Really? <laughs> so, like, what, but just how how to say, like, it feels like it ends up being slightly too basic with alcohol. Like, I love the awkwardness building up before he starts, like, le- legit actually rapping. Like, I love how it basks you in the awkwardness of the moment. But then he he just ends up going like, oh, I don't fucking know what to say. And then he just goes, nigga shit, nigga shit, nigga, nigga, nigga shit. And the white crowd and the goes like, the crowd ah! starts echoing it. <laughs> Yeah. They start doing it. Yes, they that's, just start. They're not just cheering. It's a call and response. They start doing the call and response. And so you have these like dozens of white people yes. shouting N-word shit. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. actually saying it. Yeah. And it's like, it is so, so fucking painful. Yeah. And like what I thought was going to happen, I thought it was going to keep going and he was like, he was going to be like bad at rapping but he was just going to keep saying stuff like, you know, uh, I got lean and I'm sipping, I'm, you know, I'm sipping on lean and I, you nope, know, I'm snorting nope, the molly. literally you know? just inward <laughs> shit. That's yeah, literally yeah. all he says. And then he gets like called away. Well, I think, oh, yeah. doesn't it just, so, it, it kind of cuts and they, they oh, just congratulate him and they're like, oh, right. and, and this scene it, is it like dissipates. one of the most cinematic. It reminded me of The Shining. Oh, man. Where he's, there's a close up of him just sitting. Or what's looking. the other Cooper film? Uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. You know what so I'm trying to say? Yeah, so he's sitting in a chair just looking completely exhausted and defeated. And it slowly zooms out and pulls back, and you just see tons of people fucking, yeah, butt ass naked, <laughs> fucking all over and it's the like place. Muted, so it's just like really awkward that it's you know like it's, yeah, like <laughs> like the sound is muted, and, you and it's like, like this like really like there's one woman who's like being very distractingly performative with her fucking and like dancing all over the place, <laughs> and um, yeah, and he, and he's just like kind of, and he looks so dignified in that moment despite the fact that like he's still got this bandage on his head and his head's bleeding and he's exhausted but just compared to everything going on around him he looks almost sort of kingly yeah and so like it zooms out and then you see mr bleep walking into the frame yes like rocking really slowly sort of like looking around but like making like a clear line uh to cassius and he just like walks up to him and he completely drops the uh, the white guy, the white voice. guy voice. Yeah, it's his real voice. And it's his real voice. And it's so like, yeah, like you realize this is the first time I've heard him talk. And it's the last line I think he says throughout the rest of the movie. It's the only thing you hear from him. But yeah. it's so affecting with what he says. Yeah, because he has this he has this low grumbly, very yeah. very because you know his white guy voice is all nasal and you know, mm. and he has this like low grumbly like very authoritative yeah. voice and he's speaking very quietly kind of like hunkers down in front of him and tells him like you're gonna go you're gonna yeah, go he, see him now. yeah he just like coldly goes like you're gonna go for down five uh five uh rooms that way and then you're gonna see the red door on the right and da, da, da. now you're gonna do this shit and don't do that shit where you fuck up all right you're gonna do what you need to do to now and then he makes this point where he says uh it's like, uh, we don't cry over shit that we wish would be. We thrive in what is. And what is is opportunity. And opportunity is in the door. And that felt like such it's, a... It's like the villain, the villain pet... Not, yeah. He's not a villain, but it's the, like, villainous pet talk. Yeah, pep, yeah. Pep talk. And, where, it, you know, and it's, it's like, that's, it, that's a... That's a 
we know this is bad, but also he's right and it's compelling. Right, yeah, because he's making the point where he's saying, like, look, you know, yeah, we can't cry all day about, like, oh, we wish things were better. All you can do is live your life with what you have, so take the opportunities that you have. Like, that's just summing up how the mentality of what people are going through, right? right. You know? Um, so I loved that line. I, I love that he just had one real line and it was just like, that affected and it was me. that meaningful, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, <clears throat> so we, we get the conversation with um, with uh, Steve Lift. He, he's talking to the big man himself. And he's saying like, oh man, I love your shit. You know, I want to work with you and I want to do all this stuff. He's just like, uh, but, but before he starts, he goes like, yo man, you're my man. Take this uh, big ass bump of coke and it's like in a curled line. You know, it's in on a... On a saucer with a horse on Yeah, that says Mr. Bobo. And, and I did not, <laughs> I did not... Like, this was one thing that I did not pick up on the first time I watched the movie. Like, there was a lot that stuck in my head, but the first time I watched the movie, I did not notice that it was on a horse plate. So, he goes like, uh, so he says like, yeah, we got a, this great idea and, you know, we want you to be in on what's going on. Before you get started, you know, we're going to watch this video uh, and, you know, you need to watch it. And he's like, okay, but before we do, can I go to the bathroom real quick? And he's like, no. He's like, no, but I, I, I like really have to piss. And he goes like, and, and this, okay, this like little bit is such a, it's such a weird, almost like a brick joke where he tells him it's the jade door yes. and he goes down the hall and he sees a green door <laughs> and he goes in there and, and this part scared the fucking shit out oh of me the first God. time I watched this movie a couple years ago. This scared the shit. And it's still scary. I, it scared me less when I knew it was happening, but it scared yeah. the shit out of so me. So he hears someone say, hey, you got to help me. Can you help me, sir? And, and you know, it's, and it looks like it's coming from behind a bathroom stall. Yeah. So he's like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, uh, no, I'm in pain. I need you to help me. And he's like, oh, uh. uh and then he bangs. You hear the guy banging on the door. He's like, please, please. I'm in so much pain. And he's like, uh, and he gets a little closer. He's trying to figure out whether or not he's going to help him. And then the person behind there falls out, and you see this, this naked, monstrous mutant. Yeah, this horse, this huge horse thing. And it's like, and I want to be clear: like this doesn't look like a furry's idea of yeah, like a no. horse person. He's naked, bald, just mutated, horrible horse head person. Yeah, like like with those, a horse cock. Yes, <laughs> like those. Uh, what, whenever you see those, uh, you know, you go to a party store and you see the horse head, the fake horse head thing. Yeah. Imagine if that looked starkly realistic and had the it, rest it of the body like to match. It was like a cross <laughs> between that and the baby from a racer head. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and so it's so like it's so like just hypes up what the fuck you has been going on so far because like what this hasn't been happening what the fuck yeah, is going is, on like that horseman falling out of the stall is i think the turning point of the movie where it gets real fucking weird yeah and and he you know he, he stands back and then he looks like there's a, the curtain draws back and there's another you know and whole bunch more, of them and he's like oh my and he's fucking like, you god know, yeah so he runs out into all freaking out Steve comes, and Steve, by the way, is, of course, high on coke this whole time, and he comes out, and he's just like, you know, and at first, you're, like, expecting he's going to be like, oh, shit, you found my secret, I'm going to kill you. Right, right. But he's just like, hey, man, calm down, no, no, I'm going to explain it, I didn't want to scare you, I'm going to Yeah, this is why you needed to watch the video, it was going to tell you what was going on. Oh, my God, the video. It's so... It's like... It's claymation. Yes. It is claymation. Which just adds to the creepiness. And it is narrated by a naked 
early hominid woman Mm -hmm. with like there's sort of an invisible fan blowing her hair the whole time and also making her tits sort of sway back and forth. And it's just like, oh my god, why are they doing the whole time? And it's and she's and she's got this like very posh British accent. Yes, it's like, oh yes, uh, you know, since the beginning of time, uh, man has used tools to be extensions of themselves. And the the example of that is uh, is an early hominid beating another one's brains out (laughs) and then it's like it like freeze frames and sort of shows from different angles yeah yeah. and um and and basically the the video lays out the plan to create human horse hybrids because they can work harder yeah Uh, she says uh we found a way to make humans more strong obedient durable and therefore more profitable and this is (laughs) it is just like wow the way you just roll right over that like and therefore more profitable and that's why it's a good thing to do and again it's like these I, I love the way this film characterizes the the bad guy nature of these characters because mm-hmm. they're not just the mustache twirling. We're doing evil for evilness' cause, sake, cause right? Steve doesn't think of himself as evil. Yes. He's like, hey, I'm doing this great thing. It's science. In, in fact, cool. Yeah, he literally says, "It's like I needed to show you this video." Not because I'm, you know, the evil bad guy, even though he's holding a gun and he's saying, like, no, you have to watch this. But he's saying, I just didn't want you to think I was crazy and that I was doing this for no reason. You know, like, this is rational for me to do this. This is the rational thing to do. This thing, this idea makes me more money and helps my quota. Therefore, that makes this the rational thing to do, regardless of the morality Mm -hmm. of it. You know, it's that sort of mentality that I love how it, like... It points out, but in a way that fits within the narrative that doesn't feel like mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, it doesn't feel preachy. It feels like, oh yeah, no, that's how a motherfucker would think that way. You know yeah. what I mean? And then, and then he tells him that basically what he wants Cassius to do for the company is to volunteer to become a human horse hybrid. Um, and, uh, and he says, Basically, and this is like such cokehead thinking. Hmm. He says, well, I know that these people, they're going to form their own horse society and they're going to develop a horse culture and they're going to want to rebel. And so I need a horse Martin Luther King to go in there, but I need them to, I need him to be our horse on the inside and be under our control. And so basically he's anticipating that the horse mutants are going to form a society and begin to agitate for their civil rights. And so he wants Cassius to become a horse mutant civil rights leader, but then basically do a Project Chaos Mm. or Operation Chaos or whatever the fuck the CIA was doing in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. And, like, destroy it from the inside. Yeah, or or make it so that it's harmless, essentially. And I think that's really funny because uh, wasn't the line earlier about how they were supposed to be naturally more uh, submissive and, and, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so there's just this idea of, like, oh, no, 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 uh, it it was naturally going to be that way anyway. They were just naturally going to be more obedient and, and, you know, therefore more profitable. But just in case, uh, we're going to do this whole other thing that also, like, instead of just giving these people living fucking wages... Also, just make sure that they don't ask for too much. You know what oh, I mean? And, and they say right in the video that the way that people become these human horse mutants is by snorting the serum. Yes. And he's just snorted this thing. And he's like, oh, my God, what was that? I'm not high. I thought that was coke, but I'm not high. What was that? You made me, you're going to turn me into a horse. And he's like, no, 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 it was coke, I promise. And um, and eventually Cassius gets out of there. Well, he, he says, uh, <laughs> he says, I want to make you an offer before you leave. 
And he, you know, he writes them down on a piece of paper. And, you know, usually in the movies, like, you know, slide or something over mm-hmm. to him. And they look at him and they go, like, woof. But they, like, just pan back the camera to what it says. And it's just, like, a smiley face. And it says, I'm offering you $100 million. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I can't fucking, oh. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, he, he somehow gets out of it, right? Because he's like, oh, you know, think it over. You know, you're going to want to take this mm-hmm. deal. You're going to want to make your life better. Um, but he decides, No. Fuck that. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to, you know, rebel and tell people what's going yeah, on. Yeah, so we see him wake up alone in bed, um, and he calls the paper and starts... Because he, he sees the, the news report where they're critical of... He sees the paper and they're critical of, uh, of worry-free, so he's like, okay, this paper is going to be sympathetic, and he calls them... And just immediately is like, they're turning people into horses. And, <laughs> and like, sounds like an absolute crazy person. So, of course, that that doesn't go anywhere. But Detroit comes over and uh, and she says, hey, you tried to call me last night. You tried to send me a video yes. call. And he's like, no, I didn't. I lost my phone. And it turns out the horse people made the video on his phone yeah. and sent it to her. So she's got this video of the horse people being tased by worry-free employees. With uh, Steve With Lift. Steve on there saying, I'll fucking turn you into glue. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, all right, how am I going to be able to show people this clip? Well, uh, I needed it to be a huge audience. Oh, that stupid-ass show that gets and they, such a huge they audience. Established this right, they established this show. They, there's so much really good foreshadowing mm-hmm. and seed planting in this yes. movie. So early on in the bar, they're watching this stupid show where it's basically just people go on there and get the shit beat out of them. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. Will you get the shit kicked out of you for $100,000 or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's like, okay, this show has 150 million like viewers. People are watching the show. Uh, I'm going to try to get on the show. And the, the way he gets on the show is that he calls in and says, like, hey, I'm the cola and the smile guy. Oh, right, because that whole thing went viral on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And this was, like, I think this movie came out before the Kylie Jenner Coke thing, didn't this it? This is 2018, so mm, I don't it remember. had to be afterwards. Oh, I, I think, because, yeah, it felt like a reference. Yeah. So the Coke, the smile and a, and a cola and a smile bitch or whatever, um gets an endorsement deal for enough to buy five white babies as the news anchor <laughs> yeah, says. It's so weird. Weirdly. And she and then we see the commercial and it's just <laughs> it's so like, dumb. It's, you know, it might be a reference actually, yeah, because it's like you see the Coke being yeah, thrown. Like and and it's like in slow motion yeah. and then like the guy playing Cassius gets hit in the head but then gets up and then kisses her and it's yeah. like there's music playing and it's just <laughs> really bizarre um but he's on this show and he gets the shit kicked out of him and then gets dunked in a tank full of shit yeah this is like he says uh i have a clip that i would really like to show you guys he says well but first if you're gonna be on this guest you gotta prove that you you know want to do it so are you willing to do all the shit you have to do and he's like uh yes but this is a really good clip i think we should probably show it first like no you gotta do the show and so like cuts to him getting the crap beaten out of him then it fades out and then it smash cuts to him completely covered in what looks like shit and him just like standing there looking just like shivering yeah just like a freaking scary ass monster honestly because yeah. he's just like sitting there with his hair like all down and shit and he's just like <laughs> and it's yeah. like are you ready uh you know to show the clip now and he's like yes 
yeah, I think if we, I think we're ready now. And he's like, oh, is that going to be crazier than what what we just did? And he says, oh, it's going to no, be fucking she, bananas. She asked if it was going to be crazier than him getting hit on the head with a can of Coke. And yeah, yeah. Like, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, oh, it's fucking bonkers. So, yeah, they show the video and, you know, it's seen nationwide. And it doesn't really end up doing anything. This, yeah, this bit, this bit was so good and such a gut punch. It was so yeah, it's so like, like this, this was where it really fucking hit home because, um, yeah, like in movie logic, oh, the bad guys turning people into horses and that horrible. Let's all shut that down. The, now the world knows and the yeah, good guys a, are going to prevail. Yeah, it's like That's a Batman what, Returns. I run this city like a bat out of hell. Batman records Penguin saying that and plays it at the Gotham Town Hall right. and oh, now, yeah. now no one's going to vote That's what happens him, in you know? fucking movies. In real life, and and they, um, and they later he has lunch with Squeeze and Sal and Squeeze calls this out really perfectly. He says, we all know like calling your congressman doesn't do shit. And then people know they can't do anything about a problem, so they just get used to it because what else can they do? Mm. And that's the thing. We know that there were fucking, that there still are concentration camps on our border where they're holding children in cages and where they are forcibly removing women's uteruses and where people are Mm. fucking dying of typhus. And we know that shit's going on. And we've been protesting and we've been Mm. calling and fucking nothing gets done. And police are fucking murdering people left and right. And people Mm. are out in the streets rioting and nothing fucking happens. Nothing fucking gets done. Mm. And so this is where this movie was like really fucking a punch in the gut because Mm. it is that world where it's like we can know this horrible shit's happening and we can rail against it and what happens what happens Mm. oh good job good job with the prophets good job like this guy's a genius the powers that be will put up a uh, black lives matter sign uh, near uh, the white house you know to prove something to that trump but don't actually ask us to actually defund the police or anything like that yeah you know (laughs) and i will say thank god he lost Oh Thank man! God, oh, yeah, we didn't just... even talk about that. And it's like, you know what? <laughs> just breathe that collective sigh like, of relief. <laughs> I've been getting like I've been getting irritated. Like I've been getting irritated left and right. I've been getting irritated. <laughs> I've been getting irritated left and center. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that because I I feel like I politically am somewhere between liberal and leftist, mm. and like Go look. Off, King. All right, I I am as annoyed as anybody at like the Democrats in in the government. I am a, sure. as annoyed as shit as anybody at the Democrats in government, and I and I am annoyed at people who act as if getting Joe Biden elected will fix everything, and right. then we can all just sit back and go back to brunch and not worry about anything. Right. On the other hand, I see all these leftists on the internet who. The moment Biden gets elected, start going like, well, don't fucking celebrate because he's just as evil and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it's like, you know what? Biden is not fucking perfect. Mm. He is far from perfect. He is going to need to be held to account. He's going to need convincing on things. He's going to need to be pushed. He's not a fucking fascist. He's not like I. 
the equivocating is so like not real because it's like as soon as you just dip a toe into what like Trump is doing, it's so angry. Like like you only have to like dip a slight like Google search be like, oh, he's trying to reveal fucking Roe v. Wade. What the fuck? He's trying to do all these like backwards ass right. shit that is like and. And you know I what I'm feel saying? like a lot of people, and it's a lot of younger people, not all younger people, but I feel like a lot of people don't seem to understand the difference between not perfect and just as bad. There mm. is a world of difference between not perfect and just as bad. So thank God Joe Biden got elected. Thank God that Trump lost. Let's fucking celebrate a little bit. Let's breathe a sigh of relief and then once biden gets in office let's go okay chop chop fix this fix yeah, this yeah, fix yeah. this and hold him to account but let's not start bitching and moaning when we have one little spark of hope and one thing that we can like maybe be happy about for two yeah. seconds let's just be happy for it, two seconds because it's let's never yeah because it's never just going to be the oh we realize the powers that be realize they're wrong other ways and we're just gonna make everything go right now like no it's not gonna happen that way right so we have that, to work strategically but that doesn't mean like i just the people who just immediately go I, I had to unfollow this one page on Facebook because of the straw manning. Like, they were just literally just saying, like, oh, the liberals are already blah, 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 and the liberals this and the liberals that. And we're, somebody was, like, claiming that liberals want, like, all liberals want everybody who lives in a red state to die, hmm. which is just, like, that's literally just not well, true. See, that's, like, a weird made-up thing that you hmm. made up and got mad about. Like, well, the thing that I see a lot of, <laughs> welcome to the political, uh, <laughs> strictly political talk, uh, but uh, the thing that I usually see is uh, people going like, oh, Biden's going to pick a whole bunch of Republicans for his thing. He's going to, it's like, okay, you know, he's, he, he is going to be that center candidate who's going to like mix the thing up, but he's not going, like, again, dip a toe into the stuff that Trump did. And it's just like, mm -hmm. he's hiring people that don't even, like, know the job and what it's about. Like, okay, yeah, he's going, like, Biden's going to hire these people that are, like, Republican, but are within the actual thing and may no, maybe know some of the laws or two. When you look into what Trump's doing, it's just, like, he's hiring, like, freaking conspiracy theorists and weirdos. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I told you about the thing about the Santa debacle yeah. and how they were going to get the, uh, uh, um... Give mall Santas the yeah, COVID vaccine Yeah, they are going to give the vaccine first, but then you find out the guy who was supposed to be put in charge of that was some, like, wacko who didn't even really believe coronavirus was real and was Not spreading types of shit. Not to mention the idea of giving it to mall Santas first is the stupidest fucking thing the for stupidest clearly reasons. culture war pushing type yeah. of shit you know? so and and here's the thing i think so, i saw somebody on twitter and i apologize to this person because i don't remember their name or handle but they put it really well where they just said there's nothing wrong with choosing your opponent and i think that was such a great thing is mm. like you know what like there's a lot of stuff I disagree with Biden on and there's stuff that I'm going to be protesting during his administration, but he's a person, mm. you know, like I would rather, I would rather be arguing with an intelligent, decent person that I disagree with mm. than trying to convince a rabid fucking orangutan yeah, like... that he needs to not kill children yeah, like i just like like biden can biden changes his mind on yeah things. and you saw it happen during this campaign like biden, he can be shamed into being like oh right. that was the wrong he, thing he moved left he admitted mistakes in the past he and kamala harris both Dude. have said that they got things wrong and they did things that they thought were wrong in the past and 
Can you imagine? I, I was just about to say, yeah, on the contrary. Try because I whenever I try to listen to him, whenever it's something where he's like, he's clearly wrong on this, let me see what he says to try to like be like, oh, you know, this is my response to it. And it's so like mealy mouth and never wanting to admit that he's wrong. And it's like, how can you this is a brick wall? Like this, Right. You know? It's like if I we watched the last debate and he was asked a direct question about COVID and just started going off on this complete tangent and yeah i mean that's the thing is like yeah it's not just like, like so many people try to characterize oh orange man bad it's like no this person is doing things that are actively worse and is showing himself as an actively worse person for a position of authority right like, <laughs> and i think like you know i'm in the point where like if you are a trump supporter at this point like you're not somebody who yeah. exists in the same universe and like I can't, I can't, I. There's no point yeah, yeah. in arguing with people who are Trump supporters at this point because they literally they're in an alternate reality. The their understanding of the facts is so skewed. That there's just no way to talk to them. But what I think, where I think is the interesting tension is between more centrist liberals and yeah. and further leftists mm -hmm. because, like I <sighs> like I think in terms of actual political ideals. I'm fairly far left, but in terms of actually getting shit done. Yeah, material things like, that are going to happen right now. Right, and the thing is like... Or as soon as we can get it to happen. And you know? I've seen so much really nasty back and forth thing where people are saying, and people who are not necessarily liberals, like that's the thing, is they're wanting to say anybody who said, hey, we should vote for Biden, we need to get Trump out of office, mm -hmm. is a liberal. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. That is not the case at all. There are plenty of people who are not liberals who are actually more to the left. Well, because what they'll say is, because what they'll say is, is like, oh, uh, you person who is pushing for Biden, well, since he's this guy who's not actually going to get everything done, you wanting me to vote for this guy is just wanting me to be placated and to vote for this guy who's not going to actually do anything. Well, and they That's keep, what they say, right? right? And they keep saying like, well, when is it going to end? When is it going to end? And I'm just going to have to vote for somebody who's even further to the right and somebody who's even more of a... Con and that's just ignoring the facts. That is ignoring the actual reality because the actual reality is that Biden has been moving leftward mm. in response to people saying stuff, right? He has actually been moving leftward and yet people who just want to be pissed off are creating this slippery slope fallacy of he's not as far left as I want and therefore, and therefore I'm just going to keep getting dragged further and further to the right. Well, it, it specifically is like he's not the perfect type of person that we want. So I guess I'm going to throw up my hands and not get involved. Therefore, just allowing the worst option to happen anyway. It's like, and I, and because, because I, those people never have the alternative. Whenever you ask, it's always like, well, you should do a grassroots thing and start mm -hmm. your own party. And it's like, okay, but what are we well, going to get done and, now? And also, like, that stuff needs to happen on the local level. Right. And then on the state level. And I'm really fucking tired of third parties who only show up for the presidential election to act like a fucking clown. Right. Like, and draw votes and just get attention. Because that's just... Trump. That's that's the same thing is I just want to run for president and get lots of attention rather than doing the hard work of running for, say, city council. How when was the last time you saw a third party candidate for city council? I would love to see that. I would genuinely really like to see other parties besides Democrat and Republican running for local office and state office. But you don't see that. You see them showing up for fucking attention 
oh my god, I'm gonna get like flamed over all this. <laughs> you gotta get back on but topic. I thought, <laughs> I, and I just want to say real quick that I thought Natalie Wynn's video, her ContraPoints mm. video on voting, was really, really good and to the point. Yeah. And also, I'm realizing I'm old, <laughs> and I'm actually <laughs> Natalie Wynn and I are the same age, and apparently we're old because it's these 21 year olds who are like, this isn't good enough, and that's not good enough, and and this so and so is this exactly the same as Trump. You yeah. know what? You know what? I'm 32, and I remember, I clearly remember a time not all that long ago when to say you were in favor of gay marriage was political suicide, Mm. and saying you were in favor of gay civil unions was iffy at best, okay? And Biden has just immediately, immediately after getting elected, has appointed a trans veteran to... Uh, oh, to shit. to his cabinet to help overturn the trans ban. Oh, man. All right, like Biden is look is focusing on trans rights when a decade ago it was sketchy to say that you were in favor of gay marriage. Yeah. All right, so don't fucking put come... shit in perspective. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Deep but... breath. So, but I feel like that just like this movie is so 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 good. Mm-hmm. If you are listening to this and you're not an asshole who doesn't listen, <laughs> then you already have seen it and you know it's so so so. And, good. and you've already been radicalized to 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 believe the progressive ideals that the movie yeah, espouses. But that's but that's the thing is like this movie. I feel like it's aesthetically amazing. It's aesthetically amazing. The actors are all fantastic. The writing is good. The dialogue is good. Everything about this movie, the way it's shot is good. Like, I I literally don't have a single criticism of this movie right now. Like, I probably will think of something I could nitpick about at some point. But I, I honestly have nothing bad to say about this movie. And it does, like... It sparks that kind of like that got me on a tear, partly because I'm super sleep deprived. <laughs> but, <laughs> you record these late, <laughs> but um, but but yeah, like that's that's that kind of thing is like we're living through some really serious shit, and it can feel really hopeless. Yeah. And I feel like this movie gets at the hopelessness, but but we didn't even talk about the actual ending because what I want to say mm. is. There are, are like three or four different, almost like false endings to this. True, because um, because you've got uh, you've got the okay, he's got the news out, like he's got the clip, the clip shown to everybody. The movie might end there. Then you see him going on talk shows in the next twenty four hours, being like, "Yeah, you need to call your congressman. This mm-hmm. needs to stop. That needs to stop." Think, okay, that's the ending. Then it cuts to, oh nope, everybody. The price of the company went up, and everybody's congratulating. Yeah, you see clips of him like going like, "Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah, right." And then you think that's the ending. And then you see like, uh, you see, I almost said boots. Um, you see Cash, uh, and mm-hmm. Detroit kind of getting back to the ordinary world, and he's moving back into his garage. And I did like the touch that like, yeah, he's getting back into the garage, but he opens it up and it still looks like his nice apartment inside. Wait, wait, wait. You forgot the part where the rebellion happens. Oh, shit. With the horses. Because that happens yeah, in between yeah, yeah. that. that happened. Right. Like, there's, uh, there's a big protest and... That's the one where the strike breaker guys try to come through, but there's the concrete protest right. in the back where they get knocked out yeah. when they hit them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this was like, <laughs> this was even a more amazing thing. Like, they planted it at the beginning of like, 
oh man, you know, all these guys I played football with in high school and they're such losers and all they do now is play right. football. And then those guys in their football uniforms are like helping stop yeah. the, and I, the stack water people. And I did like that, that sense of like, you know, earlier in the movie, it's just like, oh, okay, all right, you're losers, playing but... the, the knuckleheads. is just like a joke. But then it's like, no, but they can be useful for what they can do to help people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and yeah, so there's this like glorious moment going on, but then um, one of these people hits cash over the head and he wakes up and he's chained up in the back of, oh, yes. of, uh, of a, some kind of van and um, and then the horse people break him loose because he's looking out through the window at first yeah. and he sees it looks actually like the Portland riots that were happening not it's that so long ago. It's so interesting. But it's like it gives you an action scene, but you're only seeing so much only, of it. Which was so effective cinematically. Yeah. yeah. And you're seeing these, like, you're seeing the horse people who broke loose, like, running around and, and like, beating up cops. And it's great. Yeah, there's one part it's where like, you see, like, oh a, 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 a cop vehicle, like, go by, a really huge one go by. And then you hear something happen, and it gets pushed back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, and shit. It's like, oh, my God. We and you need see the horse X-wing. people. Yeah, you we see the X-wing. horse people. Exactly, yeah. Equisapiens. Yeah, the Equisapiens. <laughs> Sabians, they're pushing it back, and then finally, you know, they uh, you see them go up right well, to the thing, and like, bust, oh, there they is. bust Cash out, and Cash is like talking like he's talking to an alien. He's like, like we I am, appreciate, I am honored to be in your, and the guy's like, dude, I'm from East Oakland. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that all happens, and the Equisapiens like go off into the night, and then, um, and then we get this sort of like nice sunny day and cash is like about to move back into his garage and it's like you think it's gonna open up and look exactly like it did but then mm-hmm. it's like no he he redecorated there's a little bit of something different and he gets back in there with detroit and it's nice and then he doubles over in pain yeah he's just like ah, he's covering ah. his face and you're like oh, what's good what happened and you think you missed something and, and, and you're like did like, i miss the, something and at first i wondered if he was like is he just playing a prank is yeah like and i thought did him? i miss a scene where he got hit in the nose or something and then he takes his hands off and he's got a horse he's got, he's a got horse the horse nose, nose. <laughs> and, and it's, goes, so, <laughs> it's so disturbing too like him with just the horse nose yeah is way more disturbing even than it, the full horse people they just hold on it slightly longer than like you think right. it would and it just gives you that yeah. uncomfortableness and, and so it it's, it's almost that like you know like hand popping out of the grave type yeah. of like shock shock moment and then it's credits and then there's even more there's an after credit <laughs> sequence where the horse people bust into Steve Lift's house to yes. get the shit out of him he's like sorry to bother you but <laughs> right and you don't like see everything but you know yeah. he's gonna get just torn to pieces yeah exactly and it's one of those things where it's just like you know the movie is giving messages of like yes you know like work together and, and we can like you know build the strike and we can come together and get and you know get equal pay and all that stuff like that but seriously, this guy's a corrupt motherfucker. Let's fucking shut up. <laughs> right, and it's like, I feel like that was that after credit sequence was such a kind catharsis. It was a it was a kindness. It was a catharsis, and it was a kindness on Boot Riley's part. Boot Boots Boots Riley's part mm. because um, you know because the movie really does get at that hopelessness that I think a lot of us feel. And still feel, even despite things looking up a little bit, Mm. um, because there's so much bad shit going on and it seems like so much effort over the last four years, there have been so many protests, so many protests, so many community actions, so much effort put into changing things that doesn't seem to make a difference. We haven't gotten the camps closed yet. 
despite the fact that people have been out there, that people have been fighting for it, and the fact that it's such an obvious, blatant human rights violation that everybody knows about. Um, you know, that, that hopelessness and, and what Squeeze says near the end about, you know, people... And, and I really, I liked that when he said that it wasn't with a sense of sort of superiority or judgment or of like, oh, these sheeple just don't care. Right. They just want to, it's like, yeah. no, literally people don't know what to do because they try and it doesn't change anything. And so what are they supposed to do? Yeah. And, and I think the movie, like, it, it's interesting because there's a critique within the movie of thinking that art makes a difference, right? There's mm -hmm. a critique within the movie of Detroit acting like her portrait like her her art pieces of africa are gonna somehow help things um and and in a way maybe the movie is an example of that itself because it's like getting at all this stuff and expressing this hopelessness and then it's not going to change things directly but um you know and that have we talked i feel like we've talked about brecht on this podcast haven't we yes <laughs> yeah we have because yeah, we're fucking nerds <laughs> uh but you know, but like Brecht's idea that catharsis in traditional theater is politically harmful because it makes people relax mm -hmm. and makes people feel like they don't need to do anything. Yeah. Um, and I think that is often true. And that's like, you know, people have been making that criticism actually a lot lately of movies. And movies that, that act like that. We solved racism fucking green right, book or whatever the fuck. Right. That movies that make you feel really good and political and like you did something political by watching them. Um, and, uh, you know, and so... Well, and, with this and, movie, I feel like it gives you... Because the, it gets it gets that hopelessness, and then mm -hmm. the what I think Boots Riley realizes as a director and as a writer is that people who are too depressed to get out of bed cannot make a difference in society. Uh, and we don't want to feel so good that we just relax and don't do anything, but you need to give people a little something so yeah. that they don't just collapse into a puddle of despair. And seeing the horse people beat the shit out of the CEO was that little something yeah. that we needed to keep our like, sanity. I remember watching that movie and just having that feel, like the sit up in the seat moment mm -hmm. of like, oh, <laughs> like that's yeah. what happened. Like, like we just needed that little something to, to so that we yeah. don't just leave going, oh. You know, I feel like we just need a little bit of that middle ground not between left and right, you know, because fuck the right, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But between, you know, angry leftist and complacent liberal, we need that middle ground of breathe, be happy for a fucking second <laughs> that the fascist got voted out of office. Yeah. And be, you know, be glad and be hopeful. Things are then, transitioning. And then prepare to do the work. Yeah. I can say as a queer person that huge strides have been made yeah. and we've got to acknowledge that. Not to sit back on the laurels and say, so what are we complaining about? Let's not fight. Yeah. But to take some heart. Yeah, it is interesting to put it in perspective of that. Like, yeah, this is the country where we, you know, kind of, if we're honest with ourselves, has so much like homophobia and all these things. But so much was able to happen so quickly because so many people were mobilized. Mm -hmm. And that's something we need to take hearted and that's something that i think sorry to bother you personifies and that's how i brought it all back together yeah <laughs> relevant staying on topic i just think it's so cool it, it's such a good fucking movie it it ends very well i think it get, like this motherfucker made something so weird and different from the norm that it's just like 
it goes beyond ratings. You just mm-hmm. have to see this. This and is just incredible. It really is. And it's really like, it's amazing to me that, you know, you're talking about the background and the context that he's a musician and he just kind of did this as his independent thing that he felt like doing. Hmm. Like, that's really amazing because if you told me some rapper from the 90s made this movie <laughs> that he self-financed because he felt like it, I would expect it to be self-indulgent. Right, and like some Master like, P levels. Like, are... <laughs> like Vanity Press type yeah. thing. But this was just a damn good movie. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, thank you so much for listening to this Long-ass, super political episode. <laughs> uh, again, if Biden. you... in! Yeah, thank you so much uh, for listening. Thank you so much for, you know, sharing it. If you do share it, thank you so much for supporting it. If you do, seriously, I appreciate it so fucking much. Man. And I told you off the link to where to go. And until next time, this has been the Review of a New Podcast. I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And we got the guillotine. We got the guillotine. You better run. We got the guillotine. <laughs> we want to thank you for flying with us. We know you could have stayed home just crying.